Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey everybody, this is Mark Schaefer, the author of Lessons, Essays to Help You Embrace the Chaos. And who doesn't need to embrace the chaos? You're listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help us both keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction and save you time. This show is a labor of love that I do in my spare time. My day job is running a marketing agency where we work with manufacturers to help them grow. If that sounds like your company and you're serious about growth, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide atop the organic results. Now, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to be more successful. So, special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Blinkist, which is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Mark Schaefer back to the Marketing Book Podcast for the sixth time to talk about his new book, Lessons, Essays to Help You Embrace the Chaos. Mark Schaefer is a globally recognized speaker, educator, business consultant, and author who has one of the world's top marketing blogs, which I read. Mark has worked in global sales, PR, and marketing positions for more than 30 years and now provides consulting services as executive director of the U.S.-based Schaefer Marketing Solutions. And he specializes in marketing training and clients uh, for both startups and global brands like Dell, Johnson & Johnson, Adidas, and the U.S. Air Force. He has advanced degrees in marketing and organizational development and is a faculty member of the Graduate Studies Program at Rutgers University. And a career highlight was studying under Peter Drucker while studying for Mark's MBA, and we're going to talk a bit about that. He's the author of seven other best-selling books, 
the Dow of Twitter, Social Media Explained, Return on Influence, Born to Blog, The Content Code, Known, and Marketing Rebellion. His Marketing Companion podcast is one of the top marketing podcasts, and I was honored to guest host and interview him and his co-host for their 100th episode a few years ago. Mark, congratulations on lessons, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you for the all-time best introduction, Douglas. <laughs> My pleasure. And uh, you are just a you're, you're a pioneer. You're a groundbreaker. You are now the one and only member of the Marketing Book Podcast Six Timers Club. And I, I'm just grateful that some authors are willing to come back a second time. And you clearly have a high threshold for pain. You, this is your sixth time back. And oh, I know it. I've got like a ticker in my office right. that shows how many times I've been on your podcast. So oh, I, I'm, I'm very aware of this. Yes, you're a very competitive author. Uh, and and there, trust me, there's some very competitive authors uh, out there, particularly in the, in the business world. So Mark Schaefer, today, in this episode, I am crowning you the king of the marketing book podcast. <laughs> you are the king of of the Marketing Book Podcast. Now, for all those listeners in the United Kingdom, I'm not talking about that kind of royalty. I, Mark, I'm sure you can understand. They get very uh, upset about you know any kind of uh, irreverent reference to that. I'm not talking about that kind of royalty. I'm talking about another kind of royalty. And I'm talking almost specifically about the king of rock and roll, Elvis Aaron Presley. Now, stay with me, because... There are some similarities between Mark Schaefer and Elvis Presley that Mark Schaefer probably doesn't think about. I know his wife doesn't see these uh, similarities, but I yeah, I see them. So Elvis Presley, he lived in Tennessee, right? Mark Schaefer lives in Tennessee. Ding ding ding. Okay. Mm-hmm. He lived in a compound called Graceland. Okay. True. Mark Schaefer lives in a compound called The Chateau. Now, it's not the normal spelling. Mark's last name is spelled S-C-H-A-E-F-E-R. The compound is spelled S-C-H-A-T-E-A-U. So all of you French speakers in the audience. The Chateau. The Chateau. So Elvis Presley had fans, still has fans from all around the world. Mark Schaefer has fans from all around the world. And when Elvis was on stage, women would throw their undergarments at him. When Mark Schaefer is on stage, well, let's, let's stop there. You know, I think you get the point, okay? So when you became the one and only member of the Marketing Book Podcast Five Timers Club, I had to pay tribute. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and that included uh, the option for you to stay at uh, my beach house in Florida for a week. And I hope you'll still take advantage of that. So, not too long ago, when a few listeners found out that Mark Schaefer, the king of the Marketing Book Podcast, was coming back on the podcast, the one thing they wanted to know was, how are you going to top that beach house? Well, I've given that a lot of thought, <laughs> Mark Schaefer. And I, I want you to know that I'm going to give you something that's much more valuable, seriously, than the week at that beach house. You, my friend, are getting a dressage horse. Yeah. Okay. So my <laughs> wife, she's a really super competitive equestrian, award-winning, and she's got these dressage horses. And I am going to 
give you one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I haven't spoken to her about this yet, but the horse is already on the trailer and he's heading towards the chateau right now. And uh, I even paid extra because I'm not going to need a signature. I really want you to have that horse. And part of the reason why, Mark, is that, you know, that horse, well, any of the horses, but any of them, they get much more attention from my wife than than I do. And I've come to terms with that many years ago. But they eat a lot and they, they get much better medical care than I do. So, you know, when they say that giving is all about the giver, trust me, I'm getting a lot out of this. So, Enjoy the horse, and uh, I hope that you know maybe you you're able to take uh, take that up. I'm speechless, <laughs> and it's funny because you know in my mind I'm running through all these lists of possible horse related puns, and I'm just not finding anything that's sufficient. <laughs> well, it's all yours, and you can't give it back. Okay, okay, so got it. Now the pressure's on for if you come back a seventh time. I don't know what I'm going to do at that point, but um, at any rate, it's it's all yours. Uh, enjoy it. I wanted to read one quick excerpt from the beginning of the book and then talk about this book because this is a very very unique uh, book and project for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So you say every week for the past ten years, I've written two blog posts. I share my best ideas, observations from my business and my life, and many important lessons that seem to help people. As I've reflected on this work, and specifically the last few years, it seems that these essays have been a way for me to navigate the escalating level of chaos in my daily life, the mad race to understanding technology, the hurricane pace of business, the unintended consequences of intelligent computing, and the ever more complex nature of human relationships in this whole mess. And as I figure things out and assemble clues along the way, my blog posts are little mile markers of progress. These leaves of wisdom float around on the enormous content lake for a while. But like every piece of content out there today, they eventually sink, sink, sink to the bottom. The lessons are still important and helpful, but they just can't be found very easily anymore. So, Mark, talk about this book project, because this is very different, and your approach to it, very illuminating for marketers. Yeah, I think so. I think this is a sort of a multi-dimensional experiment, and I'm excited to uh, to talk about it with you, because I haven't really talked about it. This is uh, the first time I've really discussed the book and why I did the book. So as you quoted uh, from the book, the main idea here is, look, I'm a teacher and I like answering questions. I like solving problems. And when I look at the body of my work, which is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of blog posts, several, several thousand blog posts actually now, it's like I don't always have all the answers, but I'm asking the right questions. I'm asking the questions that really are on people's minds these days. And if you look at the math of content, um, at any given point, only about a third, more like really a quarter of the people who love you and subscribe to you actually see your content. Now, this is a generality. But, you know, uh, a sort of a typical open rate for an email is around 20%. If you do a really good job, it's maybe 30%. And that's uh, kind of a universal rule of thumb. 
So I'm doing all this work, creating all this helpful content, and normally only 30% of the people who, who love me and are interested in what I do see it right off the bat. Now, I'm tackling big issues on my blog, very relevant issues. And as a teacher, I want to reach as many people as I can. And it's sort of frustrating to develop this content. And, you know, a lot of it is is lengthy. A lot of it uh, requires a lot of research. It, it's frustrating that this content dies after a few weeks. As I said in the book, it, it just sinks to the bottom of the lake. So the first reason, the first thinking behind this this book is like, let's surface this content in a way that might be evergreen. Maybe people can find the book easier than they can find these blog posts. And there is a theme, uh, as you mentioned, that I'm trying to figure out the world. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what's next. What do we do? How do we stay relevant? You know, what are the problems? What what is what brings me hope? What brings me joy? And it's it's a, a key part of being a business leader today, or being a marketer today, is you have to embrace the chaos. The you know the the, the simple days of understanding a couple media channels are over. It's chaos. We can't hope to understand it all. And so I think the general overriding theme of these essays is how do we embrace the chaos? And my thinking is, is that, look, I'm continuing to write these essays, these blog posts. Maybe every year I'll, I'll collect them again as another, you know, I'll, I'll do, I, this book is called Lessons. Maybe next year I'll do Lessons too. So that was kind of the thinking of how do we take this hard work, this useful content, and put it in a format that can reach new people and will sort of be an evergreen source for these ideas. Mm -hmm. And as somebody who, I guess along with millions of others, reads your blog, reading this was sort of an affirmation. It was a, a, a way to say, yep, I'm, I, I've got the key concepts at least for this year. And also, you know, you and the listeners are in one of the least static lines of work these days. Oh, yeah. And you talk in the book about how uh, certain things that worked just two years ago uh, are, are starting to not work as well. And people need to get used to that. And it just makes uh, marketing that much more uh, challenging. But let's jump to chapter five. Can you talk about why? marketing is lost. Well, that was an essay that I wrote that was um, a, an experiment in itself. I had this idea that um, as I went around the world, I kept hearing that people were overwhelmed and that marketing doesn't work like it used to. And I, I sort of made this observation that marketing is becoming over-reliant on technology. And sometimes that's the exact opposite of what people want. Just a couple little observations, Doug. 
you know, I see a lot of businesses that are kind of run on a dashboard. But on that dashboard, we're going to see the same information that our competitors are going to see. So how do we really know what is going on? How can we really discern any truth out of that that could become some sort of competitive advantage? We're too reliant on um, algorithms, on automation. We're, marketing has become sick in that we're using technology not to reduce barriers between our company and our customers, but to raise barriers. Things like spam, things like robocalls, piles of direct mail that are littering our mailbox and they're bad for the environment. You're right. You mentioned today marketing is best known for doing the stuff that people hate. Yeah. And that's that's just got to stop. And the reason why this was an important blog post was because this was my first, the first time that I floated some of the foundational ideas of the Marketing Rebellion book that I was thinking about writing. And I wanted to say, how, see, how is this going to go over? Because they're not, you know, they're, they're rather controversial ideas. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> how did it go, Mark? <laughs> some, yeah, someone actually wrote a comment. Mark, can you write a book about this? <laughs> ah. And I thought, okay. And the, the post was very popular, very well accepted. The comments were universally supportive because this was a very risky book to write. And that's why that blog post was, was important because it was the first trial balloon I set, sent up there to say, boy, you know, I'm thinking about writing about some of these controversial topics. What are people going to think about this? And I was very validated and supported. And that's sort of the history of that of that story. Yeah. And that blog post, and there was another one from, I guess, 2014 about content shock where you struck oil, you touched a nerve, and you realized mm-hmm. that there was more to it than that you were just scratching your head about. And that's those are examples of two books you wrote where there was a problem and something was changing and you couldn't quite figure it out. So they were very risky books. And I would think Marketing Rebellion and, and The Content Code mm-hmm. might have been two of your uh, more successful books. They were. Um, and, you know, if you, if you throw Known in there, which is a book I wrote in 2017 mm-hmm. about personal branding, I mean, those those three books have, have really, I mean, they're sort of in, I don't know what else to say, but it's for me anyway, it's sort of like in an epic category where those books continue to sell and sell and sell. And they're, they're part, of, they're still part of the conversation, you know, content code known, they still come up at in people's speeches in other books in blog posts, they're referred to constantly. And I think my goal with with marketing rebellion, which just came out in uh, I guess February or March of 2019. I mean, my 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 only goal was I gotta beat those other books. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be even. It's, it's gotta be even better. Well, speaking of personal branding, 
despite mm-hmm. the fact that you've written this book known, and I recommend it all the time for people that are, as you may know, I hear from listeners almost every day, and they're asking me for very specific books they could read on a particular challenge or topic they have. And, mm-hmm. and very often, I'm able to send them a link to an interview that I've done. And uh, that one gets sent quite a bit when people are talking about standing out. Yeah. Speaking of standing out, I also send them a link to Dory Clark's book, <laughs> Stand Out. Mm-hmm. But talk about why you, as you say in chapter one, why do you actually hate the term personal branding? Well, it's it's sort of become one of those terms like today, like um, networking. influencer. Networking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Networking or influencer where there's something behind the idea that is important and that it's valid and we need to understand it. But it, it's sort of taken on some sort of almost comical uh, persona or characterization in in the social media world where it's it's just kind of people roll their eyes when you hear influencer. Look, influence marketing is absolutely legitimate. I mean, it, it, it sells stuff. There's no question about it. And it's the same with personal branding. Is you know, there's still blog posts out there saying personal branding is narcissistic and personal branding is stupid. And I mean, it's it, those are just those are articles that just really are superficial. To be yes. honest, they're just superficial. They're not looking at the reality of their world. They're not looking at how the world really works. They don't look at where's the source of power and influences in our world today. And if you say personal branding is silly or superficial, you're just not looking at the at the idea in a very deep way. That's true. That's true. We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist might be the answer to one of your biggest worries. As I mentioned earlier, the number one worry I hear from listeners is that they feel they aren't reading enough books to keep up and be more successful, but there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 3,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are from top-notch authors, many of whom have been guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, including Seth Godin, Guy Kawasaki, Robert Cialdini, Philip Kotler, David Merriman Scott, Ann Hanley, Bob Berg, John Jantz, Jonah Berger, Jill Conrath, Jeb Blunt, and many, many more, over 40 authors who have been on the show. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, the New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 10 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, 
Blinkist.com slash marketing book podcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. And there's no risk because there's a free seven day trial. Go to Blinkist.com slash marketing book podcast. And that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the marketing book podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at marketingbookpodcast.com. It's a very smart investment in your success. And now, Back to the show. So you mentioned influencer marketing, and in the book, you mentioned uh, the Unilever CMO, Keith Weed. And Mm -hmm. one of my biggest takeaways is that you talked at great length about how he has some of the best hair. And it I does. I looked no it up. I, I might have heard of him, but I'd never uh, gone into Google Images and, and Googled his name to check out his hair. And it, you are once again, Mark. You are right. The man has so, got the hair game. So curious. Yeah. So, but it was interesting though because uh, you talk use that as a jumping off point to talk about influencer marketing. So, could you share mm-hmm. what what he did? And of course, when Unilever does something, everyone pays attention, just like Procter and Gamble and some of the other and Coca Cola big brands. Mm. What, what happened with them on influencer marketing, but uh, you also talk about how he may not have, uh, uh, he may be missing something. Well, so influencer marketing, it, it, you know, it, people tend to focus on all the silly stuff that's going on, all the mistakes uh, that, that influencers make right. or and, how. And actually, Mark, when we talk about influencer marketing on a marketing podcast by law, we're required to mention Kim Kardashian. Please go ahead. Yeah. TM. So we look at Kim Kardashian or we look at, uh, you know, Jake Paul, someone silly like this or someone who is who has corrupted the system and is doing stupid things just to try to, you know, uh, buy an audience or or attract money in a weird way. Look, corruption happens everywhere. Corruption, corruption you want to look at search engine optimization, Right. Uh, look at stuff like uh, digital the, advertising. Digital there's advertising, massive fraud there. Oh, there's massive fraud, right? And you know, someone wrote me this email the other day and su- suggested that influencer marketing, influencer marketing, is the is the Enron of business. I said that's just dumb. Is SEO the Enron of business? Is ad is you know. Uh, Digital ads, the Enron of business. Our home renovations, the Enron of... <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, 98% of all the content mentioning a brand on the web is unpaid. So let's just start there, all right? Now, what Keith Weed, the chairman of the CMO of Unilever, uh, he retired a few months ago, ex-chairman now, I guess. You know, he was saying... <laughs> so he can these, spend more time working on his hair. Yeah. These influencers... You know, they've got to get their act together and they've got to perform and they've got to do this. Then the problem is it's your fault, Keith. It's the company's fault. Whenever you're connecting with these influencers, they're going to become better known than anybody in your company. They're the face of your company. They're representing your products. They're the most important person, arguably, in your marketing department. Now, would you hire somebody for your marketing department without vetting them? without interviewing them, without looking at their values, without seeing if what they're doing is true and real. So, look, corruption is going to occur, but it's not necessarily the responsibility of the influencers to self-regulate. This is a big step for the company. So that's one of the points 
that I that I made in this essay. And there was another book on the show by Joel Bacheller, uh, Digital Influence, and he talked quite a bit. This was, book was very much just about that one topic. Yeah. And he talked about how there was even an uh, influencer marketing company that went and invented a fake influencer yeah. and got her hired. It was a model. They got her hired yeah. like within a week or two. Mm-hmm. And then just just to show people, this was a good thing they were doing, to show people why they need to be careful. Uh, for the exact same uh, for the exact same reason you were just uh, talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and by the way, uh, I like Joel's book very very much. Uh, I, I think it's it's the book that I was sort of waiting to to be written. I wrote the first book on influence marketing in, in 2012 mm-hmm. called Return on Influence, but it was sort of ahead of its time, and nobody was even using that term in 2012. And I've been waiting for the book, the next book that, you know, I basically said, this is a trend and this is a legitimate and this is why. And I predicted in 2012, I said, in two years, this is going to be a mainstream marketing channel. And that was, that was true. And Joel's book basically is the nice companion book to that, that says, okay, now here's what we do about it. Right. So I like his, I like his book very much. Yeah. So, uh, just one other question I want to ask, and it's something that irritates you and me, and then we'll move on to the more happy things, okay? Mm-hmm. So, we talked about the, the misperception of personal branding, but why does the mantra of hustle, <laughs> that seems mm-hmm. so pervasive today, particularly in the startup world, why does that uh, grate on you like a rake on rocks? <laughs> well, the thing that I explore in this essay is not necessarily any sort of criticism of hard work. It's not really a criticism of, a, you know, being an entrepreneur. I mean, I work hard. I t- I've taken risks throughout my career. And what I pointed out specifically that, that grates on me is, is the bigotry of hustle. And, you know, the definition of, of bigotry is when, People are intolerant of some view that's different from their own. It could be intolerance of a of a view or a way of life or a religion or you know a skin color or something like that. And what drives me crazy about the the culture of hustle, and it really is a culture of hustle, is that there's an intolerance of people who don't share this lifestyle. Right. You mentioned you call it hustle shaming. Yeah, it's hustle shaming. And that's part of this narrative that if you're not hustling and you're not working 18 hours a day, you're shit. You're worthless. And it's, you know, when I look at my world or, you know, if if you look at the, the world, let's say, and the people who I admire the most are certainly not in that hustle culture. They have a value that is maybe uh, they're taking, maybe they have special needs children. Maybe they're serving our country in the armed services. Maybe they're working to create awareness for some civil rights issue or some something wrong in our world, right? Now, these are all worthy vocations. And maybe they don't have the ability or the time or the resources to pursue this hustle culture, but that doesn't mean they're not amazing people or they're not worthy people. So that's the thing 
that really upsets me is that when you when you work for the sake of work and that becomes your god that's where i see that there's a problem in in the world and it's dangerous it's really really dangerous I think that, I mean, this is really kind of getting off on a different topic, but I mean, I've experienced people, you know, who are putting their lives at risk, who are putting their family and their, their children's welfare at risk through this hustle culture mm. and through this preoccupation for the amount of work that you're doing, you know, and, and a lot of times the work is mindless. It's not even, people just think they can work their way to you know, to success. And, you know, you got to be smart, first of all. <laughs> you know, you got to have a plan. You got to have a goal. You got to have a product or a service that people care about. And a lot of people are overlooking business fundamentals and hoping to make up for it with 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 just the, the number of hours that they work. And it's, it's sad. It's, it makes me sad. I see a lot of people who are misinterpreting what I think all that means. And they're they're going in the wrong direction, and it's very. Uh, I agree, it's very uh, troublesome. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, talk a bit about Peter Drucker. Mm-hmm. And when I interviewed Philip Kotler, the father of modern marketing, about his autobiography, he had a lot to say about uh, Peter. The Drucker. best interview you've ever had. <laughs> yes, well, thank you. And I was, of course, excited when I saw that you mentioned that interview in uh, Marketing Rebellion. And yet, yeah. my kids still weren't impressed. Uh, you know, but they don't know what I do. So he is uh, known for so many things, and I just just this week I was doing some research for a presentation I'm giving, and I just I start reading more and more about Peter Drucker, and I just can't I can't stop. It's he was so uh, prescient, and you studied under him at uh, Claremont, I believe, yeah, when you were Claremont. getting your MBA, and one of the most famous quotes he ever said, I'd like you to talk a bit about and explain what it means. And you quoted in your book. He said, because the purpose of business is to create a customer, the business enterprise has two and only two basic functions, marketing Marketing and and innovation. innovation. (laughs) Marketing and innovation produce results. All the rest are costs. I just wanted to also sort of remind your listeners, this may sound like a random conversation, but actually all these things that we're talking about are ideas from this, from this new book. And the general theme of the, of the whole book is this idea of how do we embrace chaos? And so these essays that I wrote, write, you know, and that we're discussing today are all kind of under that umbrella is how do we make sense of all these things in, in, in the world? You know, this is a great, dichotomy, Doug, and a great question. I am always puzzled about the pressure and the controversy surrounding the role of CMOs today. We see that of any person in this in the executive suite, the CMO is under the most pressure. They have the shortest amount of tenure in the company, the expectations of the CMO just seem to sort of be not connecting with the realities of our world. And so you go back to Drucker's quote, and if he's right, what the heck is going on in our world where CMOs just seem to be dismissed and abused and fired all the time? I agree with Drucker. And I think 
his quote maybe was a little bit provocative. He tended to be that way. Um, he tended to want to sort of provoke conversations and maybe make ideas that are a little bit extreme to get people talking. And here's the main idea behind this, I think, is if you don't have customers, you don't have a business. So let's not get lost with purpose and meaning and engagement and all these things that are, you know, so dominant in the marketing conversation today. You still have to have customers and you have to retain those customers. You create customers, you create demand through marketing, you keep them through innovation. So I think that's the essence of what he's trying to say. I think the disconnect in the world today gets back to the main theory, the main thesis behind the Marketing Rebellion book, is that business expectations of what marketing should do are completely out of whack with what customers want these businesses to do. Mm -hmm. And we cannot be successful marketers on a quarterly schedule, on a quarterly revenue schedule. Customers don't care about that. And I'm not and look, I've been in that world. I was in that world for decades. I know the pressures of being a public company, but that also drives the wrong marketing behavior that our customers are going to hate. And if we're doing things that they hate, we got to stop. And so there's this sort of permanent disconnect, this permanent angst that's being created by culture, by being, it's the expectations of Wall Street that is, is going to be very troublesome for years to come. Yes. And uh, it actually brings to mind the title of another book that was on the show a couple of years ago by Bob Hoffman called Marketers Are From Mars, Consumers Are From New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And in it, he talks about the massive disconnect mm-hmm. um, between uh, the customers and the way the, the marketing works. There was uh, one thing you mentioned in the uh, when you were talking about Drucker and his, his five questions that he uses, mm. which is something that listeners could go start thinking about today. But let me just mention what they are. He, he talks about what is your mission? Who is your customer? What does your customer value? What are your results? What is your plan? Now, books could re- be written about each one, but I was particularly interested in where he asks, who is your customer? And I thought it might be helpful if you could explain why you start client engagements with customer visits. And for me, it was a bit tied into what you mentioned earlier about over-reliance on dashboards and, uh, and data. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the mistakes that companies make today is they sit around in these internal meetings trying to answer these five questions. And certainly, you need to have that sort of input. I think there's a certain amount of wisdom that comes from experience, but the world is changing really fast. That's part of the chaos. Foundational customer consumer behavior is changing. The way that customers uh, bought goods and learned about goods really didn't change for a long time. And you could argue that consumer behavior has changed more in the last two years than the last 20. So marketing is not 
just a static activity. It's not on a piece of paper, uh, some plan that's going to last for the next two to three years. It is dynamic. And you've got to go out and talk to customers and you can't confuse what customers buy with what you're selling. They could be different things. And you've got to go out there and, and listen to that and really discern why are we connecting with our customers? What is the problem that we're really solving here? And make that at the center of your marketing instead of some internal meeting guessing why customers are buying our products. Mm. And there have been uh, some other books that I'm such fans of where they talk about what struggles companies have just going to talk to their customers, but the insights they get are just uh, invaluable. One of the most powerful quotes, I think, was from the Marketing Rebellion book that just had such an impact on me where and it comes from one of my favorites in the field, uh, Martin Lindstrom. Yes. And I had the great, great pleasure and honor to, to interview him and, and, and count him as a, as a friend. And, you know, he said, Mark, I was, I just came from this big marketing conference in New York and there were 5,000 marketers there. And I said, how many people have sat down and had a face-to-face -face conversation with one of your customers in the last year and 19 people raised their hand? That is another symptom of this sickness that we have in marketing today. And, and why? I mean, why is it that way? Because we're too over-reliant on technology. Yes, and his book was one I was just thinking of when I when I mentioned that, and I'd forgotten that it was in your uh, your book as well. So, mm -hmm. in in that book, he talked about one company where the they had seen such great results by employees going and spending twenty four hours with customers that mm -hmm. the CEO then mandated that every employee was going to spend 24 hours at least once a year with their customers mm. because mm -hmm. it had given them such competitive advantage. So, Mark, one thing I would like to ask about is content because this is something that I know listeners are struggling with today and, and they're always there and I just can't uh, resist the opportunity to talk to Mark Schaefer about uh, content. And mm. specifically in Chapter 24, you expand on the response you try to coach people on when they say, Mark, what's the best content for my business? <laughs> and uh, you you talk about how you, you know, take them through a few questions. And, and one of the first things you say is, is content marketing, in fact, the best strategy for you at all? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great uh, question that companies should be asking. What do you mean there? It, it's, I would say... Doug, that this is probably my number one frustration in marketing right now is that marketing strategy is not being led by um, research and data. It's being led by gurus. And we tend to look at advice from people who are at the top of the field and say, okay, well, that's what we have to do. And we have this lemming-like quality occurring in social media and content today, where if someone says, okay, well, everybody needs to be on Snapchat, then everybody runs to Snapchat. You know, now, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says, everybody needs to be on TikTok. Okay, well, let's go to TikTok. 
You know, this is uh, everybody needs to be creating video on LinkedIn. So now my LinkedIn field, there's the stream on LinkedIn looks like a bunch of used car salesmen, one video after another selling stuff. And the heart of great marketing is conform is non-conformity, not conformity. It's not doing what everybody else is doing or what the gurus are saying. You have to find a way to maneuver. And the great sad observation I make is that most companies are doing content today because they're afraid not to, Mm. because they hear the advice and they go to the conferences and my God, we've got a whole conference with, you know, 6,000 people every year in Cleveland, just about content marketing. We must be doing that, right? Well, maybe. You, you've got to figure out you know, what is the best way to connect to your customers. What is the best way to create this emotional connection between your products and your services and, and, and these customers? Look, there are a lot of great benefits to content. And that may be the best thing to do for you. But I think you need, you need to start with a very rational analysis to say, all right, what is our place in this ecosystem? How do we best serve our customers? How do we stand out in a unique way? And if we just start blogging and there's 17 of our competitors that are already blogging and filling up this niche with great stuff, maybe that's not the best thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stop trying to take them on head on. Look at look at uh, flanking options. Yeah, you got to hit them where they ain't. Yeah, yeah. And then earlier in the book, you talked about a person who they were up against some really strong players that had built massive content moats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, don't go there. Try. There's there's lots of other options for things you could do. Now, in that case, they did want to do um, content marketing. So, social media is one other question I want to ask you about. I I. I spend a lot less time on social media than I used to. I just, I guess, don't really enjoy it as much as I as I once did. Mm-hmm. And uh, except when I'm on LinkedIn and I'm chatting with uh, marketing book podcast listeners, uh, well, explain why you though are optimistic about social media marketing. Well, I think social media is just we, we live in a historically important time where there's just so much opportunity on the social web that didn't exist for people and for businesses even uh, 20 years ago. Today, because of social media, everybody has an opportunity to publish, to be heard, and even to become known. So let's think about when you and I were young and starting out in business. How would anybody know about us? You know, why am I on this podcast today? It's because you formed some sort of emotional connection with me early on through my blog. You got interested in my blog and later you became interested in my podcast. And then we finally met and we became friends. All right. Mm-hmm. And then the restraining order. <laughs> okay. I wasn't going to bring that up, but none of that would have happened we never would have had the opportunity for those relationships to form 20 years ago. And this is the magical thing of our world today is that it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, the 
you know, how dark your life has been, how bleak, it doesn't matter what financial troubles you've had. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what religion you are or who you love or the color of your skin. None of that matters. Everyone is equal in our opportunity today to use these free tools to create a blog, a podcast, a video series, a presence on Instagram or Pinterest that can help them become known in the world. That is amazing. That is historically important. And I think people look too much at the negatives of social media and rightfully so. There's a lot of stuff going on right now, but you also have to remember there's never been anything like Facebook in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to figure out what the, what this means. And you know what? It'll sort out. It may take regulation, but we we can't look at the beauty. We can't overlook the beauty or underestimate the beauty and the opportunity that's presented to all of us to connect to people we never would have had the opportunity to connect with, to help people, to serve people, and to become friends like you and I have, starting with social media and ending in you know, you're a person who has invited me to your beach house. I mean, mm-hmm. and that horse know. is probably there by now. Yeah, I can. I, I'm hearing some sounds. Yeah, I asked him to leave here. a bale of hay there just as a yeah. starter pack. Um, <laughs> but you know, let me let me add to that. Yeah, for companies that are thinking, oh, I don't know about this social media. You argue vociferously, and I couldn't agree more. Social media makes us better marketers, and I had to laugh when you mentioned. Uh, let's see if I've got it here. You mentioned one executive who said, "I really love advertising. You pay an ad agency money and then wait for something to happen with social media." people are talking back to us and it makes me uncomfortable it's like the deer have guns and it's so yeah, true i'll never forget that yeah that was I, I i had to laugh out loud oh but it's but you see the, i don't like them talking back a lot of your customers maybe on social media are going to be giving you ideas and insights that in the past you might have paid big money for some market researcher to go get for you well, the, the huge opportunity we have in this world, and this is sort of the, the main idea I have in the Marketing Rebellion book, is that today the customer is the marketer. Two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. Now, that might seem really scary because it's out of our control, but the opportunity is if we get invited to that world, if we get invited to those conversations our marketing is over because mm-hmm. then the customers are carrying the story forward. Yes, and do I remember correctly that two-thirds of the what's said about your company is not said by your company? Wasn't that from some study like 10 or 12 years ago? Well, the first McKinsey study, I think it was 19... I think it was 1999. That was almost a bigger reveal to me uh, than what was said because it's it was so long ago that it was it was shown and yet people still think yeah. they can control them. Yeah, said I'd have to go, I'd have to go back and look, but yeah, it was remarkable that the first the first indication of this was really in the early days of of the web, and then McKinsey did a follow up study and sort of confirmed this, and they've evaluated almost two hundred thousand customer journeys across many different industries. And they've just found that, you know, 
traditional marketing is almost not showing up in the buying decisions. It's not showing up in the customer journey. And so we've got to create a new mindset of what marketing really is and what really works today. Yes. And there was another point in the book where you said that you think marketing is so expensive and, and ineffective for companies because they're still clinging to the past. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, at the top of the interview, I talked about how you've done two blog posts per week, and that's 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to layer over that the fact that uh, I believe the folks at Libsyn, a, a podcasting serving company, mm-hmm. say that most podcasts never make it to episode eight. And I think I've also heard that most corporate blogs never make it past five blog posts. Talk about the importance of consistency. Well, I think that is a, that's a huge, huge aspect of our world. And I think consistency is more important than genius. One big idea in marketing today is that consumers are generally kind of lazy once they find the path of least resistance and the path that they're comfortable with, they, they kind of stay there. And so that sort of becomes an underlying content strategy as well. If you can weave your way into the fabric of someone's life, you're probably going to stay there. And you can't just expect to have that happen if you blog three times or you blog once a year or you create one video. And I think the nicest compliment I ever received was uh, a woman wrote me one time and she said, I start my day with you. I get a cup of coffee. I open up my computer and I look for an email from you with your latest blog post. And to me, that is just a wonderful, wonderful compliment to realize that I've become part of the fabric of her life. I'm part of her habit. I'm part of her routine. And you don't want to let her down. No, I will. Not, and that's that's the only thing in my mind when I create any content <laughs> is that I will never let you down ever. I will never write a blog post. I will never have a podcast episode. I will never write a book that somehow cheats people who spend time with me. Mm-hmm. And so there is a lot of pressure to keep up that level of quality. And if I can't keep up the level of quality, then it's it's time to stop. But that's how you have to be consistent and you have to fight to be superior. You know, I've been doing the Marketing Companion podcast for almost seven years now. Brooke Sellis is my, is my co-host. We just had a conversation today about how we have to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing to be relevant, to be timely, to be interesting. We have to find new ways to be entertaining. We have to find new ways to up the quality of the show. We've been doing it, you know, I've been doing the show with Tom Webster and now with Brooke for seven years, and you've got to keep fighting. Number one, you got to be consistent. We've never missed one episode in seven years because we want to be part of the fabric of someone's life, Mm. and we're not sitting still. We've got to keep pushing to be superior to earn that place in in their lives. Yes, and I remember exactly where I was when I listened to the first episode. And uh, I think that if you want to improve the quality of your show, you just have to be real careful about who guest hosts. Uh, on, uh, <laughs> well, we learned that lesson right. on episode number 100. 100. That's right. That's right. So, Mark, if readers took 
only one thing away from the book, and we've talked about many, what would you hope it would be? Well, again, the, the theme of the book is, is, is embracing chaos. And I think that that is the challenge for all of us. How do we stay relevant in this world of rapid change? And I think if, if someone took one lesson from the book, I think it's that number one, be patient with yourself. <laughs> you don't have to have all the right answers. You have to be able to ask all the right questions. And I hope some of um, my struggles and my questions that I explore in this book will help people in their own journey to embrace chaos and remain uh, relevant in this world. Yes, and I remember years ago, uh, Ann Hanley gave a talk about how you should follow your fears. In other words, pay attention. To it. What is it? What is that fear? And mm-hmm. it reminded me of some of the books you've written where you you something was troubling you, you couldn't quite figure it out, so you you steered into it. Yeah, that's that, that's that's my own internal. In fact, I just wrote a uh, wrote a blog post. I haven't published it yet. That was very risky and scary. And I, I said, the, the number one reason I'm publishing this unusual post is because it's scary. Yes. yes. Whenever I get this internal reaction, ooh, that's scary. Then I know I must publish this <laughs> yes. because it's pushing, it's pushing into something that's new that needs to be explored. Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to seeing come out? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I just started looking through John Janch's new book. The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur? Self-Reliant. It's very unusual. Mm -hmm. And boy, he put a ton of work into that thing. And so I'm really enjoying that. I think a book that I've talked a lot about that I like a lot of is The The Power of uh, Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. Mm -hmm. That is a book that is very research-based very um, relevant, very actionable. I like that book uh, a lot. I just got a copy of uh, Content Marketing for PR by Trevor Young. And I think that is a very practical book that's not filled with a lot of the hype that you see uh, in a lot of other places. So I think that's a, a useful take on uh, on content marketing. So those are a few that I, oh, that I liked in, in the last couple of months. Yeah, well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to your sites, uh, your, your social media, and including your LinkedIn profile, and all the books that have been mentioned so that people can find them quickly. And I hope that listeners will reach out to you uh, on LinkedIn or however, and, and thank Mark for being a guest on the show. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the only interview you've done on a podcast uh, about this book. But Mark, could you also mention this um, this event you did? I mean, it, it seemed very interesting. The I think you call it the uprising, right? Well, uh, you know this this book lessons was was an experiment, and I'm also you know the I mean the reason I started the blog was an experiment. The reason I started a podcast was an experiment, and one of the profound lessons I learned from writing the Marketing Rebellion was I interviewed a lot of these entrepreneurs and these small companies that are really doing marketing in a, in a very different, bold, human-centered way. And I kept hearing the same thing over and over again. They said, when we brought people together, it changed everything. And I've been thinking about this for a long time. 
that I've been ready to bring people together. I used to have a big event called Social Slam, and I had it for three years. And by the third year, we had like 700 people there. And honestly, I was miserable. It was just so stressful. And when there's 700 people there, you don't really have meaningful conversations. So I decided I wanted to have a small event focused on the future of marketing. It's not going to be how do we do a little bit better with our SEO or how do we do a little bit better with our headlines. This is about the big cataclysmic changes that are happening in our field that are redefining marketing. We're going to bring marketing leaders together, and I capped it at 30 people. We had 30 people at the first event. I've got two more events planned for 2020. You can find more about that if you go to uh, my website, businessesgrow.com. And at the top, there's a, there's a, on the navigation bar, it says events. And uh, it's extraordinary. It was, it was literally life changing for people. And so it was a great success. And so for 2020, I'm planning an event in May. I'm planning an event in October. And I'm sure, Doug, a lot of people are going to be listening to this show far into the future. And I'll have future events. So be sure to go to businessesgrow.com, look at events to learn more about the uprising. Well, I was very interested when I first found out that you were doing this. And I'm so happy for you that you've decided to to do it a few more times because for a variety of reasons, but also just those human-to-human conversations and, gosh, probably the things you learn uh, from talking to those people uh, is, is is enormously helpful. So, yeah, and we'll include a link to that section of your website, too, to, if awesome. that makes it any easier for, for folks to find out about that. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Lessons, Essays to Help You Embrace the Chaos. The author is Mark Schaefer. Mark, your highness, thank you very much for returning once again to the Marketing Book Podcast. Closes the book on episode 256 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist, to support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. Visit blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast. I also have a link to a special offer at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Brant Pinvidic to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his new book, The Three-Minute Rule. Say less to get more from any pitch or presentation. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. Before your eyes, to the music, dig to the Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.